This episode of the Business Samurai Podcast is brought to you by Lamar Marie Popcorn. You can get now one bag and get a second bag for half off with the code BARKER at checkout. So if you like your snacks a little sweet, a little salty, a little mixture of both, go check out LamarMarie.com and all of the flavors that they have for your next snacking sensation. That is LamarMarie.com with code BARKER at checkout for buy one, get one, half off. If you know your business needs to be more secure, but don't know how it drives value, and you hate all of the technical mumbo jumbo, then you are in the right place. Welcome to the C Word for Business podcast, where cash is king and the C stands for cyber. The only cybersecurity related podcast aimed at you, the business leader, to cut past the jargon and help you with cyber risk management in terms you will understand. Business. You will learn the best tech-related metrics to track, how communication is the lifesaver when it comes to cyber, and how good policy will fix the weak link when it comes to security. People. Listen in on conversations with world-class business leaders and how they manage risk. We will deconstruct their processes on how they choose to protect themselves, their team, and customers. You are stepping into a world of proactive business with your hosts, AJ Orr and John Barker. Hey, welcome to the C-Word for Business podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, John Barker, joined by AJ Orr. AJ, how's it going, man? Good, John. How's everything going with you, my man? Perfect, perfect. Uh, we got a. Good. I think we got a great show with everyone. Got three three articles that didn't really hit the the big wire, the big news wire, as we like to see. That I think we need to get a little bit more uh, megaphone power behind them. So I think we can do that today. Why don't you kick us off? Absolutely, absolutely. So the first one that we've got that we looked at uh, was an article per, uh, published by ThreatPost, and it's CyberSpike. Uh, basically, they're saying that organizations have suffered 925 attacks per week, uh, which is an all-time high. And so, you know, just kind of a quick overview. And once again, the link to these articles are going to be in the show notes, so you'll be able to go and look at them yourself. But uh, so the study showed that last year there was an increase in weekly cyber attacks globally to an average of 925 attacks per week. And they said that that's up 50% from the previous year. But they also noted that the log4j attacks uh, were a major contributor to that number and to that increase. And so uh, with that, as you read through the article, what are your what are your quick takes on that, John? Sure. I, I, I think this this a lot ties back into what we've discussed in previous episodes, where more and more of these uh, the, the people that are doing ransomware and these attacks are treating this as a business. So the more that we see in the news that companies are kind of paying out the, the ransom, the more that and, and again, you don't have to have proximity. You can be all the way across the globe to to do this and make money uh, fairly easily, I think uh, that you're, you're going to continue to see an increase until we get better with business operational process, better technical implementations and technical security, um, and as well as the payouts stop. Once people stop making money at something, you see, you know, you see there's going to be an evolution, I'm sure, to, to something else, but we'll stop seeing some of these, you know, these attacks this way, but there's no end in sight. I do not think there's an end in sight right now with, with the trajectory of this continue to go up. No, and I completely agree with you. Um, just for the simple fact of, I, I think one of the biggest challenges, and this is one of the things that we, we talk about at nauseum, is that 
people aren't giving cybersecurity the due credit that it deserves because they it's one of those things where a lot of business executives and for all you guys out there you, you might fall into this category where you know they think oh i'm in the cloud so i don't have to worry about cybersecurity or i've got an it guy so i don't have to worry about cybersecurity or i'm too small to be a target so none of that stuff that happened that i see in the news none of that stuff will happen to me and those are all valid thought processes until it does happen to you and then it becomes a well, oh my goodness i should have been paying attention and so you know the reason why we put together these 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 shows and, and talk about this stuff is to bring awareness so that you start paying attention now and early. You know, as we looked into <clears throat> the article itself and as I was going through it, and if you scroll up a little bit more so we can actually see the graph, one of the things or down a little bit more, my, my apologies, but one of the things that I that I saw you know, when we look at the they broke them down by industry, it was very staggering to me that education and research was by by far the number one uh, targeted sector. But as we also look at the supply chain issues that we've been having, you know, manufacturing made the list with averaging 704 attacks a week. Uh, retail and wholesale organizations made the list with 526 attacks a week. And then transportation. So you, you trucking logistics companies out there, you guys made the list hitting at 501 attacks a week. And so that, that just goes to show that Criminals are treating this like a business and they're equal opportunists. They don't care who you are. If you're a business, regardless of what it is that you do, you can be a victim and, and they're coming after you. I actually have a question for you with with this to very specific to to the industry sector. You know, I would have expected government military to have been number one, quite frankly, because the information that you can get when you're when we're talking about those advanced persistent threats where were these other foreign nations that have the firepower to be able to go breach into a network and sit and park themselves and gather as much intel as they want would be extremely valuable. Why do you think that, I mean, that education and research itself, unless you're talking maybe IP theft, and again, this is conjecture, why do you think that's so far outdistanced all the other ones with the way that this article, based on the research of this article? So I think two things. One, you just touched on one, IP theft. Uh, when you talk about research uh, developments and organizations that are doing heavy in research, that IP, priceless. And so that's one. But two, and this is something that we touched on in, in one of our previous episodes, you know, as you alluded to, and, and I didn't think about it until after you had said it, but, you know, our school systems are the biggest employers in the country. You know, it, regardless of what city or state that you live in, you know, think of how many people are employed by the school systems. So if I'm a criminal and I'm looking to steal as many identities as I can and then go and sell them on the dark web or, you know, utilize that information to create targeted spear phishing attacks and things of that nature. Well, what better place to go than I can I can get, you know kids who aren't, you know, their social security numbers and their, their sense, their personal information isn't being monitored in most cases by most or by most people. So I've got fresh identities that I can steal there. And then I've got all the employers, I've got all of their, their, their medical records, all their sensitive information. I mean, prime candidates and prime targets. And so when you think about it, you know, it's a treasure trove of information that typically isn't well secured. And so low hanging fruit here. Okay. I think that's the reason why it's number one on the list. Yeah. And, and as a, as a tease, our last article, article is, is kind of surrounding some stuff related to schools and, and, and ransomware very specifically that, that happened recently. Um, no, it makes that, that, that totally makes sense. I, I can see low hanging fruit being a, a big part of going, Hey, this is, this may be where there's most open vulnerabilities at and looking at government stuff, uh, you know, second, lots of legacy systems, you know, you're, you're trying to 100%. shift the, You're trying to shift the Titanic. And from personal experience, I've seen where programs that have been in place 10 or 15 years, the initial dev process of that 
was get something up with like two people involved drinking wine. That's actually a legitimate story. If anybody hears this that knows that story, I'll, I'll, I'll save names. But I, I have been told stories of that because you get all these little stovepipe, very segmented areas uh, of note, particularly when you start going down further, then they start breaking down this article by region. And African nations, you know, were almost three times as likely compared to the United States as having one of these breaches occur. Again, kind of what what's your thought process on what, what specifically in Africa it, it would make them such a large target for based on a percentage increase uh, or even not percentage, but just based on the number of targets based on North America or Europe, which quite frankly, traditionally are your richer countries? Because I think it's just, once again, low-hanging fruit. You know, when you think about the development and everything that's going on in Africa, I mean, there's a lot of big corporations that are starting to build and do developments over in that in that country, uh, which is great. But here, here's the thing. They lack the maturity. So the, the, the technology infrastructure isn't as strong and robust as what you're going to find in the United States and throughout Europe. And so not only that, you know, so the, there's a there's a lack of security infrastructure in place, but there's also a lack of awareness. And so it's much easier to trick somebody who's not even looking and isn't aware that that the, that the attack and the threat is, exists and that it's coming. The other thing that I, I, I thought about this as we've reviewed this article and I, I remember reading it you know earlier in the week was. How many people, when we talk about the supply chain, may have partners or have, may have locales based in those countries? And that's an entry point into other areas uh, because of maybe lack of the complexity and lack of the uh, the polish that may be in, in, in other places when it comes to around security and the operational procedures. That's that's something else that kind of popped into my head that, you know, is the, is that is that a gateway? If they if they found a gateway into where other where other places are at that may not have the perimeter security necessary, I think all of them are opportunities. I, I think that criminals nowadays are they're equal opportunists. As soon as they get in, they're looking for different ways. How can I spider my way throughout this thing and land into larger organizations or go upstream and and, and flick more damage? And so that, that's just the nature of the beast. <laughs> I have been waiting to hit that button <laughs> since I made that button. And if you hear that sound, it means we know you as the listener are probably going cuckoo for us staying on the same topic. So we're moving on. Uh, the next article that we have that we found that we didn't feel like uh, had gotten enough traction was a phishing scam that occurred in Austin, Texas. Uh, a group of people went around and created a website and, and sticker QR codes to try to accept payment for parking meters around the city. I think there was approximately a, a hundred of them. But the city of Austin, they don't have a website to accept payment for parking meters. Uh, they, they do it via the coins at the uh, sitting there or cards or through a smartphone app, which is, you know, I've never been to Austin, but something I've experienced going to Philadelphia, for instance, there's the, the multiple ways to pay. So they stood this whole full up thing to use this kind of a phishing scam. Uh, didn't say how much money they may have found, but, you know, the police were reported, had to go around and try to scrape all these QR stickers off off of the uh, the meters. What when when you first became aware of this, what was and for somebody that's actually going to Austin at the time of this recording in a couple of weeks, what was the first thing that kind of popped into your head when, when you heard of this type of scam? 
I thought it was genius. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I look at things from, you know, from a criminal's perspective. Once again, we, we say it all the time, and I will beat this until until something changes. But criminals are treating this like a business, and so for me, it was just like, wow, what another creative way for them to <laughs> issue and to administer, administer more attacks. And, and realistically, to me, it was the modern day uh, USB drop, where back in the day, criminals were infecting USB drives, putting writing sensitive on it and then just dropping it over out in the public, waiting for somebody to pick it up, be curious enough to plug it into the machine. That's how they were getting them. This is just the modern day version of that. More creative, uh, but it, it does it does raise a red flag that, hey, be careful what, what QR codes you're scanning because everybody's using them now. I think it's a great marketing ploy, but now we've seen firsthand that they can be used in, in malicious intent and just to be aware of that. And, and I wonder, you know, thinking about this, I, I go to restaurants now that won't even give you a physical menu anymore. Menu. Uh, they uh, Buffalo Wild Wings. I don't know. You're in Columbus. You know, I'm out here in Virginia. I don't even know if you have Buffalo Wild Wings. I don't know how the chain proliferates, but they've got physical menus, but they, for the most part, there is literally a sticker on somewhere on the table or somewhere else. And it's like, Hey, do you need the menu? No, no, I'm good. How, how hard or how easy would it be to go? Sorry. I'm not trying to give anybody any tips or ideas of how to scam Buffalo wild wings. As I say this full disclaimer, full here. disclaimer here. I'm not, this is educational I, I am purposes. not advocating anybody do this, but this is trying to get you into that threat mindset of how hard would it be to go mimic a Buffalo Wild Wings website or app if you if you've got those skills and that utility at hand and you're criminally adjusted to that mindset and, and go do and create something that's duplicated like this. I mean, do you see you know, I could see that being an issue because who would notice if a QR code changes, you know, physically nobody pays it, attention. Nobody nobody would pay attention. I'll be honest okay. with you, when I've done it, I won't say I've paid I considered Buffalo Wild Wings a trusted source and that was their menu as I'm sitting there. Um, and that could be through the app too. So the question then becomes, and, and and once again, this is all all conjecture and educational. You know, in in the the article, what what the criminals were doing was they spun up a website to where uh, you could you thought that you were paying for your your, your meter, and so uh, you enter in your credit card information, your payment information, and then uh, they have all this stuff that everything that they need to go ahead and clone that card and then go on shopping sprees. And so that's the way in which it was working. Um, the next step or the evolution to that would be uh, setting it up to, to route people to infected websites where it automatically yeah. infected their devices. And, and that's where it gets dangerous. And because you're, you're hundred percent correct. Um, it's easy to clone a, to, to, to create a QR code because you can look at them and not know what they're going to do or where they're going to take you. And that's the dangerous part about it. At least in emails, if somebody sends you a link, you can at least hover over it and see where it's going to take you. A QR code, you don't know where it's taking you until you scan it. And that's a, that's the dangerous part. And so once again, it's being aware of these issues and that these tactics are being used and that they're out there so that you can be cautious and just think twice before you actually do something. Yeah, no, and, and I would say, I want to say this was an evolution and don't hold me to this as far as the ease of which QR codes have kind of proliferated uh, mobile phones. I want to say uh, when they first started coming out, I actually needed to get a separate app, app on my phone to scan them. It was a very deliberate yeah. process. Now it's like, uh, man, you just got to whip open the camera. It's baked into that it's to open this it. stuff. Yeah. So it's much easier that you've got less steps to be conscious of what you're doing. So how how big of a deal, like if you're out and around town um, and 
you know, I, for me, it's going to, after reading this, not, you know, not even thinking about it, really, I'm going to be looking for, hey, is that QR code kind of imprinted into the overall poster of what's going on there? Or does it look like something's just been stuck to like something? A sticker. Yeah, it's going to yeah. look like it's been stuck to something. Um, uh, and that's, that's one thing to look at. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm more on the extreme saying, uh, you know what, QR codes, done. I'm not scared of none of them. <laughs> well, here's one, part you dis- here's one part you disagreed with me on as we were prepping for the show today. I had made the comment, I said, to me, this for, for what we're used to seeing with your, your typical scams and ransomware, it's very much people at a distance. You know, you've got somebody sitting somewhere, they're, they're shooting out spam messages, see who they can fake the link. Maybe they're making a phone call with some sort of social engineering thing like we've seen with gift cards in the past. But I said, okay, cl- setting up a website for this is not a big deal, but you've got to, you know, not as big of a deal, but you've got to print, physically print QR codes. You've got to run them around town and hope to not get caught like, you know, vandalizing uh, city property and things of that nature. I thought that was a lot more work than what I've traditionally seen for parking meters with what? What's a transaction on a parking meter? 50 cents, a dollar? I don't, I honestly. But it's not, but it's not the transaction that they were after. It's not the dollar, $2 or whatever the parking Mm -hmm. fee was. It was grabbing that credit card information. So this is, so so this is an upgraded credit card skimmer. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. It's a much bigger play there. Yeah. And as far as deploying it, rolling it out, you know, you can pay some kids 20 bucks to go and snap these stickers on as many things as they can. I mean, I think it's genius. I mean, from a criminal perspective, See. once again, from a business mind, I think it's genius. I, I just think, you know, that's what we're up against from a, from, as business leaders out there, this is what we're up against. You know, this is what we have to be be aware of and cognizant of as we're moving forward in our and op- operating our daily lives. Apparently, I am not as criminally gifted as others on this particular <laughs> radio show today to have those types of thoughts. Uh, but you, it's business mind, yeah, business uh, mind. Oh, oh, oh! I think that was a personal dig at me right there. Um, so I won't try to take that too personally. Hey, you're listening to the C Word Podcast to, to your only host, John Barker. Now, <laughs> no, but but you 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 made the point right when when it comes to you know talking about business, talking about we abide by after a set of rules and principles and guidelines to us, and those that do that go, you know, no rules for me. How creative can I be? Well, that was hundred percent. Yeah. So, I think I, 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 I'm, I'm. It's going to be interesting to see these types of things as as they evolve. And I'm going to, I'm going to cuckoo myself now because it's it's time to move on. <laughs> wrapping it up. Wrapping it up. Wrapping All it right. up. What's, so, the, what's the final story we got for for everybody? Today? The f- the final story was an article that was produced uh, put out by CIO Dive, and it is Shadow IT is evolving as businesses sanction more apps. And basically, the the overview of the article, once again, it, the link will be in the show notes. Um, you know, shadow or rogue IT, as as others might hear, might refer to it as, um, it's becoming a bigger challenge in today's business environment thanks to the internet and cloud services. You know, because of this and the pandemic-induced work-from-home model, you know, now more than ever, end users are finding and utilizing more programs uh, that work best for them that haven't been sanctioned by the corporate IT department. And so uh, I, I've got a bunch of thoughts on this, but I'll, I'll tee this one up for you first because I know that you've got some firsthand experience. Yeah, uh, this this is a you know rogue and shadow IT is nothing new. If 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 you're in business and no technical you know never had experience running a, a department, I can sit there and say this is a challenge I personally experienced. 
we there's been times and, and this is going back 20 years where all of a sudden out of the blue you would get a, a whole department if not certain individuals hey i need some help with this and find out they just went out and purchased a bunch of equipment and has been using it for uh you know forever and, and there was <laughs> there was a term that we used back in the day uh the network nazi um end users did not like coming to the IT department because they were getting, you know, they were used to being told no. And IT IT departments and in general had way too much control. There there was too much control over the the equipment being used, the software applications being used. We were not talking about a business-driven value. It was like they were no kidding. You were the technical genius you were the dictator for life of how that stuff worked. And, and quite frankly, I think we're, we're finally have moved away from this where it's like, no, we should, we're all in this together. We should be advisors to that because you're the specialist in marketing. You're the specialist in sales. You're the accountant. You, you know what functions and features you need to do. So we need to collaborate on how to best do this. So one, I'm the, from a technology perspective, we're supporting you to get your job done, not telling you what you can and can't do because we have our own hangups of Mac versus PC, for instance, or something along that line. <laughs> That's you know a fun one that I'm sure won't drive many comments back. But to sit there and say, hey, if we work together to sit there and find out. So one, you go, hey, for me to do this job, I need to use QuickBooks. Okay, QuickBooks is a common tool. We're familiar with it, but let's say it was, I'm using that as an example that we can go then back and do some research on, on a technical and security side to find out what are the weaknesses? How does this need to be properly deployed? That's my job, or that's the technical team's job to make sure it's properly deployed, properly deployed in a secure way. And it's mostly, and it's, it's the best function for that group of individuals that need to use that. Or you're going to continue to find that the that other areas, if they're not getting that support from the technical team, because it's so easy now, you got quick going using the QuickBooks example, QuickBooks on the cloud, you don't even have to install anything. It's just a website link. And now you've got all this data transferring back and forth, the most important part anyway, that they can just go do this without your input at all. And it's better yeah. to get that input. input. Uh, I like you, like you said before, you know, this isn't new. You know, this has been going around for, for quite some time as far as shadow IT or rogue IT <clears throat> within organizations. Um, you know, we did an audit for, for a company, you know, probably about you know, a year and a half, two years ago, but anyway, uh, fairly decent sized organization. And whenever we started off the audit, they said, Hey, we've got 83 known applications that function and run within our organization throughout the different departments. By the time the audit was done, we found 250 additional applications <laughs> wow. that, that were being used wow. that they had no idea. Wow. And so because it's so easy, because we live in this app society where, you know, there's an app for everything, we're used to, well, we'll go to a store. I want to do this. Or, you know, we get advertisements for these different types of apps. And so for end users that are working at home now, that are outside of the the preview and the vision of the IT gatekeepers, so to speak, it's easy for them to add new things. And so where, where I think this changes uh, or what needs to happen, you know, now we're talking to, you know, the CIOs and the CISOs out there uh, and the CTOs, you know, you guys need to be more in tune and work with all the functional areas of the business because you need to understand like you just said john these guys we we need to as as it professionals and leaders we need to understand 
the workflow of the organization and every department mm-hmm. and how everything moves in between so that we make sure that we're, we're, we're that open door of how can we help you utilize technology to do your job better? And we become that resource and conduit rather than the gatekeeper that says, no, we should be the guys that we should be the facilitator. That's the better word. Yeah. Much better word. I want to give you the example that, again, AJ and I prep for these shows. We go over the articles. So we kind of loosely know what we're talking about. But I gave him an example of an app that I was loosely. (laughs) Keyword. But an example of uh, of something I was looking into for a program I'm, I'm, I'm looking to launch. And it was all about creating templates and stuff like that. But the short story was, I knew what functionality I was looking for. These guys may have had it. But before I could go and say, yep, you're the solution, I had a list of security questions that I needed to ask them and get answers to before I knew it was sound. You know, And in my case, the requirements were the data center was going to have to be located in the United States. I needed to know that how, how the data was encrypted how the data was also segmented away from their own internal support staff where yes i know they run the back end it may there may be times i if something broke i need to get them they have access but not without my you know explicit or, or written approval with that authorization yeah. exactly so i needed to know that and that's the type of dialogue that needs to happen in other companies regardless of the function I, you know you don't you know i'm not going to tell you you can't do that that's part of your job but if these guys, and unfortunately, they never got back to me in the, in the example that I was using, but if they had and said, hey, we've got all this stuff, I would have bought their product. My guess is they didn't, but, and that's probably why they did. But, the, but, but again, these are the conversations that the technology and the cyber teams can get involved in to help facilitate that stuff before you bring another attack surface vector, sur, uh, uh, surface vector into the organization. And, and I think that's the big thing, you know, for, for the, the business executives out there and the leaders that are, that are tuning in, you know, here, this is the thing that you have to understand is that from the non-technical people, the end users and everybody else who's not in this IT cybersecurity space, you guys look at functionality. And from a business owner's perspective, that's the way I look at it. Yep. I, I look at functionality. What, what can I introduce? What technology can I implement that's going to make us more efficient, that's going to streamline our processes so that we can do more with less? Business perspective, understand that. But there's a caveat to that, is that making sure that as you're looking for what's going to make you more effective and more efficient, that you're also understanding what risk that you're assuming. So make so having your, your security guy in there to ask those questions of, cool, this seems like a great product, but... Where does information reside? Yep. What are what, what are the what, what parameters are in place to protect our data? What do we have access to? What do they have access to? What can we limit? Asking those questions because the end users and most business executives, you're not thinking that way. You're thinking from a functionality standpoint, which is great. You need to always look to be inventing and, and finding new ways to to do things better. But at the same time, don't walk blindly and don't and, and miss the fact that while you're incorporating these new solutions, this new technology, that you're increasing your threat vector and, and your, your attack surface. And so you need to understand exactly how that's going to change your digital risk. So I, I think spot on right there. Yeah, and keep the communication open because that's the thing. You don't hundred percent you don't want to have it's the only way you beat this. Yeah, it is absolutely the only way you beat this. If not, you're gonna you're gonna end up with another situation. And I'm sure at some point we'll be talking, you know, we'll find stories about, again, more stories about, I thought I had 12 programs and you find out they got 1200, <laughs> you got 1200 programs right. because <laughs> people don't want to talk to each other, you know, in, inside and in, in communication. And, and that is the key is getting the teams to work smoothly 
with the with this little friction between there there shouldn't you know it's you know hopefully office politics doesn't come into play with with these things when you're talking about really trying to drive business value through technology having the security piece in there to protect yourself and absolutely and with, break down the silos and with that we come to the end of another episode. Uh, I like the cuckoo thing. It. What do you think about the cuckoo thing, man? I, I'm waiting to see I'm how the audience. I, I, I think, you know, we don't want to drive anybody crazy. Sometimes we can drive each other cuckoo. And uh, we want to bring some fun to this and keep some energy to this. So uh, I hope everybody got some out of this. Can't wait till we can't wait till we drop the next one. Absolutely. Let's keep it moving. See you guys next time. Yep. Appreciate it.